0: Well, like I said, Brian is somewhere cruising in the the Mediterranean Sea right now. Uh, So he has asked me to come and fill in for him. And so we are still walking through Galatians. And so it's kind of funny because this section we talk about this morning is is Pastor Brian's favorite piece of Scripture. So he had to give that up. Excuse me. So this morning we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 23 to 29. So if you have your Bibles, you just want to open that up there. And... <clears throat> so a couple weeks ago, Kaylin and I went to D.C. to watch the Washington Capitals win their first ever Stanley Cup. And so we get to D.C. and we, we walk through where the Capital One Arena is and it's just mobbed with people. I mean, there are hundreds of people walking around wearing red. And so we must have seen the sign, we want the cup, or all caps, everywhere. Posters, uh, towels, shirts, signs. Everyone was united and unified in one single thing, and that was to win the Stanley Cup. Everyone was wearing red. Everyone was cheering for the Capitals. Everyone was hoping that the Capitals would win the Stanley Cup. And obviously they did. And so, sports have this unique aroma to unify us. I remember when September 11th happened. I remember watching the first baseball game at Yankee Stadium after it happened. And you hear the term, sports unifies us, right? It doesn't matter where you come from. When you come to a game, you're a sports fan. In 2008, the New York Giants beat the undefeated New England Patriots. One of the best moments of my life. <laughs> but this weird thing happened. The pastor of the church my family was attending at that time called my dad and congratulated him. It was like he was a part of the team. See, in sports, it unites us for winning, the joy of winning and it unites us for the rewards of winning. The issue with sports is that the unification that unites us is worldly. And once you leave the stadium, you're no longer just a sports fan there. It's fleeting moments. You're united for nine innings, 45 minutes, an hour, 90 minutes. But even in the arena, you have different people. You have the people who can afford to sit behind home plate and the people who had to get standing room. This morning, we're going to see that there's only one thing that unifies us all for eternity, and that's Christ. Sports give us a glimpse of what this unity looks like, but Christ gives us a promise of what this is. Like I said this morning, we're going to unpack the joyful promises that Pastor Brian preached on last week in Galatians 3, 23-29. to And we're going to see that these promises revealed to us are reasons why we're unified in Christ. But before we dive into our text this morning, I want to set up Galatians 3 for us. We're ending the chapter of Galatians 3. And so I want us to turn back to Galatians three two, because this is Paul's main argument for this entire section. And if you turn back, it says in chapter chapter 3, verse 2, it says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So we see that Paul introduces two things. He introduces Spirit, or by works of the law, or by faith? So in the first section of chapter 3, we see Paul expanding on faith. Righteousness shall live by faith. He talks about Abraham. He talks about Christ redeeming us from the curse of the law by coming a curse for us. So that in Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to us. To the Gentiles. So that we receive the promised Spirit through faith. Now we'll read a Romans chapter about the law. So we have to understand that Paul's talking about faith but then in the middle of it he stops and he changes his tone. That's where we go for Galatians chapter 3 verse 19. Why then the law? I think for Christians it's important for us to understand the importance of the law and not just put it over here and say, this has nothing to do with us anymore. Because see, in that moment, when you say the law has nothing to do with us, you question, why did God give us the law? What is the purpose of the law? So we see that Paul is setting up something to happen. Right? He's talking about faith first, but then he brings in, why the law? Obviously, the law plays some role in the history of salvation. So this morning, we're going to see this progression. We're going to see the importance of the law that leads us to Christ. And because we are led to Christ, we are unified by Christ. So you guys know I like phrases and stuff. So so let's read... Oh. Let's read Galatians three twenty-three to 29 together before we, un- we unpack it. So this is Paul writing, right? He says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. So this morning we're going to see this progression. We're going to see that the law points us to Christ. And that when we are appointed to Christ and we put our faith in Him, we are clothed in Christ. And because of that, we are one in Christ. So let's unpack the first half. So in Galatians 3-25, we see that Paul is talking about the law imprisoning us as being a guardian until Christ came. When I was in high school, I was asked to tutor some freshmen in history class. I guess the teacher trusted me that I was good enough at history to tutor these freshmen. It was the only time I tutored anybody. <laughs> but it, most, some of us have tutored people before. And if you ask a tutor what the main task or for them, they would say, oh, I'm to correct what the student is doing wrong. I'm to show her, him or her, the right way to do something. To show them the right way to do something. The tutor cannot take the test for the student. The tutor, even a good tutor, wouldn't just give the answers. They would show how to get there. We notice that in Paul talks about the law as being our guardian. Think about that word for a guardian before. right? We know, we think, hear that word, and we think, okay, someone who watches over someone, someone who disciplines, right? Some translations call it a tutor. In Paul's day, they had something called a patagolukos. That's my Greek for you. One semester of Greek in college. These were basically tutors... It would teach children the right way to act from birth to adulthood. They would discipline the child. Their main goal was to show the child how to act. They didn't have the power to make the child's heart good, nor did they have the power to give the child any inheritance of the family. This is what the law does it shows us something. And it points us to something. The law shows us our sins. Romans 5.13 For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. The law reveals our sins with a big, bright spotlight. It reveals them clearly And even causing them to be multiplied and increased. It shows us how much we need someone to step into our lives to break us out of the imprisonment of the law. And who does Paul say that is? Jesus. The law draws us to Christ because it highlights our need for a Savior. Because it shows us that we cannot follow every eye or mark of the law. But it points to Christ, and we are to get on our knees and utterly void in hopelessness and say, Lord, I put my faith in you. It not only highlights our sin, but it highlights our need for a Savior. Or for VBS language, for a rescuer unless we see how hopelessly and profoundly sinful we are, the message of salvation will not be exhilarating and liberating. and It'll just be another message. But Paul tells us here that the good news has come, that faith has come in order that we might be justified not by works of the law, but by Christ. Christ has entered the world under the law. He fulfilled it and over-fulfilled it. And He died in our place under the curse of the law. So we don't have to be under the law. The law shows us who we really are. It points us to Christ, our Savior the one who obeyed the law on behalf of us and then died in our place so we might receive the promised blessings. So we see that Paul opens up here. He's saying we were held captive under the law, imprisoned. For the Jews, that meant offense. In Jewish culture, they thought the law was offense, right? Paul turned the fence picture and turned it into barbed wire. But then something happened. Christ came. And we are no longer under the law. But now faith, Christ, our Savior, is our guardian. The law might have started on Mount with Moses. And it was fulfilled on Mount Calvary with Christ. Christ endured the curse. The law points us to something. It points us for our need for a Savior. All of the Old Testament points us to Christ. You can come give me a passage. I will show you that every single piece of Scripture, every law, Everything the Israelites did in the Old Testament point us to Christ. In the beginning of Genesis, God, in chapter 3 in the fall, it says, I will bruise the heel of the serpent. That's God saying, I will bruise Satan. I will help. I will send my son. David and Goliath. David points us to Christ. The Israelites needed a king. But David wasn't the ultimate king. That was Christ. All the prophets and prophecy point us to Christ. All the law points us to Christ. And so when we are pointed to Christ, our response needs to be Lord, I put my faith in you. Lord, I am not living under this law because I want to live under you. And so we see that when we put our faith in Christ, we are no longer under the law, but instead we are clothed. Clothed. Oh, clothed. I don't know if I'm clicking your. <laughs> clothed in Christ, and this is what Paul is saying in Galatians three twenty-six through twenty-seven. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Paul tells us that we are able to become sons of God through faith. Faith in who? His Son, Christ. Now, sons is the correct term in the Greek. Okay, Because in that culture, the sons were the only people who would receive any inheritance but Paul is addressing everyone as sons. So he's just playing on the language of the, what he's writing. Think about that for a second, right? You become sons of God. How awesome is that? We become sons of God, and we get to enjoy everything that comes with that. Recently, I watched Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Probably the best movie ever. And there's a scene when Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli are running towards a pack of orcs. And so they come up with a group of riders of Rohan. And so the riders of Rohan encircle Gimli, Aragorn, and Legolas. And so they they put their spears out, and Aragorn steps in and says, My name is Aragorn, son of blah, blah, blah. This is Gimli, son of blah, blah, blah. And they put their spears down. In that moment, we see that the writers knew that Aragon was important because of his father. Aragon got the protection of his father, the blessings of his father. When we put our faith in Jesus, we become sons of God. And because of that, we are granted certain privileges because of who our father is. But the coolest part of this piece of Scripture is that Paul describes this becoming sons of God as putting on Christ. How many of y'all put clothes on this morning? (laughs) Putting on Christ. And this is not the first time Paul uses this language. We see in Romans 13.12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on Christ. The armor of light. In Ephesians four twenty four, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. And in Colossians three twelve, put on then as God's chosen one, holy, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So we see that this is an important phrase in Paul's writings. So what does it mean? It literally means to put the clothed with Christ. Christ himself being a garment. Putting on Christ. And I want us to think about, a minute, the image of clothing. Clothing says a lot about us. For example, I went to the Nationals-Yankees baseball game two weeks ago, and you could identify who was rooting for what team based on what they were wearing. So when we put on Christ, when we put our faith in Jesus, our primary identity is Christ. Our clothing tell people who we are. When we put on Christ, we tell people who we are. We become sons of God. Our identity is no longer in the law, but in Christ. Another thing that happens when we put on Jesus is that we imitate Christ. We no longer wear different types of clothing, signaling different types of people, yet we take Christ into every area of our life. People see us as sons of God. And finally, the best part to be when Paul says put on Christ, we become acceptable in the eyes of God. Clothing is worn as adornment. Remember the scene in the garden with Adam and Eve? And they're naked, or naked, and then they got to put clothes on? Clothes cover our nakedness, our sinfulness. God has been providing us clothes the whole time since the fall. To say that Christ clothes us is to say, in God's sight. We are loved because of Jesus' work in salvation. The law is no longer a guardian because when God looks at us, He sees us as sons because He sees His Son. We don't need some additional commitment to the law or better tutors or guardians to receive or maintain full acceptance with God. Instead, we are clothed with Christ we are clothed as a new creation. We are clothed as sons of God. By his, by our faith, we are made into sons by the ultimate Son. The law points us to Christ. Points us to our need for a Savior. Points us for saving grace. And when we put our faith in Christ, we are clothed with Christ our identity is not rooted in the world but it is rooted in Christ we are acceptable in the eyes of God because when God looks at us he sees his son and because of all of that we are one with Christ And this is really Paul's heart of Galatians. This is his manifesto of Galatians 3 and and all of Galatians, I would argue. There's a progression. In Galatians 3.26, we see the amazing intimacy that exists between Christians and God. For Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. In 27 327 outlines the wonderful closeness between Christians and Jesus. For you as many of you were baptized into Christ, you have put Christ on. And now in Galatians 328 through 29, we see the unity between Christians. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, There is no male and female for all, all Gentiles, Greeks, Jews, slaves, white, black, Asian, all are one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is the good news of unity. This section right here. These two verses are the climax of Paul's entire argument. The unity of believers. I just want to say two quick things about these, this, these passages because I think it's important for us because we live in a culture where we see these verses a lot. In recent years, we've seen that especially verses 28 has been yanked and jerked out of context and used to support all sorts of political and ideological agendas. This is an astounding statement, and we must do nothing to dampen the radical or revolutionary implications. We have to be careful of clicking Bible verses out of Scripture and not reading it as whole. A Second, I want to make sure that when Paul talks about this, he does not mean that there are no longer distinctions inside the church. Because we see that there's different limbs of the church. It, what really means it is I am a Christian. I've been bought by a price. I have been saved through faith. I'm a Christian before anyone or anything else. We see that the first half speaks negatively, right? Neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. But then we see Paul flips and says, For you are all one in Christ. And that is the most joyful, positive news of Galatians. Now we see that there's three categories that Paul writes. Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female. First off, Paul says, Jew, or nor Greek. Paul is telling us that when you are one in Christ, when you have put clothes Christ, when you have put your faith in Christ, when the law points you to a Savior, there should be no cultural divisions in the church of Christ except one another without one group feeling or declaring the superiority of its culture ways over another one. I think this might be the hardest one for us. In, in America because in certain churches there there are culture divisions, you see it. We do it all the time. Right? In our small groups at work. At the grocery store. When we're walking down the street. We think that, oh, they look different. They might not they, they're not Christians. They're not really Christians. Because they they have tattoos, they must not think their body is a a temple. Just because they drink alcohol or smoke a tobacco pipe, they're not Christians. They don't they don't they don't believe in Christ. Just because they don't think that Sunday morning is, is church time, but they get fed on Saturday or during the week, they're not Christians. This is what we do in churches. We put a high priority on different types of cultures. But the Bible says that when we're all Christians, when we accept Christ through faith, we're united, unity, in one, because we are imitate Christ. So the implication is unity in Christ, and do you disunity when you see other cultures? Second, Paul says neither slave nor free. Paul here is talking about money. This is what he's talking about in this section. He's talking about money. Economics, right? Shouldn't, just because how much money you make, should not extend to the church. If we are one with Christ, then it doesn't matter what class you come from how much money you might have or your fancy toys in the parking lot what matters is that you have faith in christ and because of that you enjoy the richness the joy of christ in churches we do this sometimes too oh they give a lot of money right let's make sure we keep them right oh they have a fancy car Let's make sure we extra talk to them. They're a better Christian because they give more money. I've heard that phrase before multiple times. Paul's saying that because you are put your faith in Christ, you are one with Christ. And everything you give is a blessing. Finally, Paul says, Neither male and female. Again, we need to be careful how we unpack this verse. Remember that in Paul's day, women were considered absolutely inferior to men. No inheritance whatsoever. So Paul is saying that women must be seen equally gifted and able as man, And that seems a little more applicable to our culture and allergies. And finally, we get to Paul says, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. This radical equality is only because of Christ. Christ over-fulfilled the law. He dotted every I, striked every T. bore the burden for our sake And because of that, when we put our faith in Christ, we become sons of God because of His perfect, loving Son. We are clothed in Christ. We are all wearing the same clothes. I am Philip. I am a Christian. I am Philip. I follow Jesus. The gospel creates unity because the gospel doesn't look and says, here's a list of check marks that you need to check off. Turn it in, and if you have five of them checked off, you're good. No, the gospel is paid in full by Christ's blood. The privileges we get in the gospel are so stupendous that they have to surpass the greatest Earthly merited or inherited advantages. The American dream and the gospel conflict. But the gospel creates everlasting unity. Not sports, not work, not whatever you guys like to do. <laughs> but the gospel creates unity between Christians. Because when that happens, we get to share in the joy of the work of the gospel. We get to share in the joy of the love of Christ. We get to share in the joy of not being cursed under the curse of the law, but free, free not to do whatever we want to do, free to be with Christ, clothed in Christ, clothed to look like Christ, to made acceptable in God's eyes. You are clothed in Christ, made a son of God because of his son, unified in the gospel message. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. So, we've heard this. Piece of scripture probably before. We might have heard put Christ on. But now what we want to do is we want to respond to what does that look like. This promises that Pastor Brian talked about last week are given to us when we accept Christ through faith. Now for VBS, we had 40 kids come up and say, I want to accept Christ through faith. I want to enjoy the promises of the gospel. If 40 kids can come up, then surely one of us, two of us, can accept Christ, can come forward. If you sit here and say, I I divide things up. right? I look at people And I see, oh, you're kind of different than I am. You must be a little less than a Christian I am. Or you make more money. You should stay here. Right? We divide up. We split. If if that's, if you sit there and, and that's what you do, then in this next moment, I pray that you ask God to purge that from you. Right? Purge. In, in the Old Testament, right? There's a story of, Kingsman, Redeemer, and Manslayer. And we see that the Manslayer kills people, purges evil, right? That's Christ. Christ purges sin from our lives by his blood. So, in the next moment, search your hearts. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for we thank you for your son. We thank you for sending him to this earth to walk among us to die for us. Lord, we thank you for the cross. And this, this beautiful disaster, this horrific event of crucifixion, <clears throat> of nailing your son to the cross, of his blood being spilled. But in that instance, we say it is finished. It is finished. You are no longer under the law. But you are made sons of God through Christ. And Lord, that is the most beautiful, best story in the world. Is your son dying for our sins. Lord, in this moment I pray that if anyone is sitting in this, their seats, And they want to accept Christ into their hearts that they make a decision now. Lord, we had 40 kids come up. How awesome is that? Let's add some more. For in Galatians, it promises that when we put our faith in Christ, we are one. We are clothed with Christ. All their clothes look the same. That it creates unity through the Gospel. Unity of different types of people with different types of backgrounds. Enjoying the joyful news of the Gospel. Lord, sometimes we tend to put divisions on things. And when we do that, we, we tend to think we are better than the other person. But but the Galatians says that you are all one in Christ. You were made sons of God. You are heirs of Abraham. According to the promises, Lord, I pray that if if we sit here this morning and we say, "I," I put divisions all the time. Shoot, I did it this morning when I was sitting here in church. I pray that you you purge that away. I pray that. In this moment, that you see that the gospel message is for everyone and it brings joy to everyone. Lord, and it's also a call that my neighbors, my coworkers, to go tell them about this gospel because being clothed with Christ is the best type of clothing ever. Lord, as we get ready to worship here, I pray that you search our hearts for something that is holding us back from purging these culture divisions, these divisions of money, Lord, these divisions of of women can't do things, of, of racist thoughts, because... None of that is compatible with God's gospel. Lord, search our hearts. Prepare us as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen.